Hey y'all, I'm Kiera Sheree. And I'm Ray. And welcome to Yes Black Girl. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Ray? We missed you last week. I know, I'm, I missed y'all too. I watched the interview and I was like, oh, I wish I could have made it because it seemed really fun to talk to Phyllis and just hear about everything that she does. But I'm great. I'm just at home. Um, it's Sunday morning, so I'm literally not doing anything. This is my first thing that I'm doing for the day. So, yeah, that's it. How are you? I'm good. I'm in Maryland right now visiting family, which is great because I haven't seen my mom in forever. So I think since April, I think April was the last time that I was home. Huh. So, you know, I'm happy to be here visiting everybody. Um, but yeah, same. It's Sunday. I just woke up maybe like a couple hours ago, so I still feel a little wonky. I woke up at 9 o'clock. I got up at 9 30, you know, just like. Okay, we're doing this. <laughs> but it's going to be a beautiful day. So. Yes. So our guest for today is considered the Beyonce of academia, as she is a professor, scholar, activist, artist, and writer based in Richmond, Virginia. She's currently working on her doctorate at VCU, doing community work and writing. So let's give it up for Caitlin. Hi. Welcome. You look, you're glowing. You look so good. Yes. Oh, thanks. It's the ring light sitting above my head. Okay. We love good yeah. light. It's, trust me. Without the ring light, it's real dusty over here right now. <laughs> my first question for you today. Uh, I know that you talk about having like teachers that look like you, and I can relate to that because it's. I really honestly stand on it. It's nothing like having teachers that look like you and can relate to your experience. So can you tell us about the teachers and educators that influenced you growing up and the effect that they had on you and your decision to pursue education? Sure. So um, in elementary school, I was very lucky um, and privileged to have like 95% of Black teachers and most of them were Black women. So um, from a very young age, I saw women leading in a career academic space. So for me, that was normalized. I was used to seeing that. Um, even when I started college, I did go to a PWI. I still had a nice large number of black women and just women professors in general. And I think that just might be because I was in liberal arts. Um, that's probably why I was exposed to so many women in that field. Um, as I continued on through my master's, I was surrounded by black women, uh, whether they were teaching or they were in like administration or student activities, like it was black women everywhere. Now my PhD program is a, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, it is uh, not at all diverse. So um, for me, I don't have any particular professors or teachers that influence me, but I can honestly say seeing black women in a space where they can be vulnerable and they can um, express care and compassion in the classroom has been very like monumental for my own journey as a student and also as an educator um, and also like as a mentor. Um, and I was just telling my homegirl the other day that like I've been doing community service and mentoring since I was small. So for me, um, I've been quite blessed with being surrounded with black women um, and being able to give back either through my sorority or just on my own time to other 
black students who look like me or may never see anyone who looks like me until they get to college and I'm their professor. Yes, yes. That's so awesome. Nice. I, yeah, I, I love that. Unfortunately for me, I only had, I think my first black woman teacher was when I got to fourth grade. And that was, and it was just totally different from anything I had ever experienced. And it really is um, a difference in how they communicate with you as a student. It just, it makes a world of difference. So that's awesome. Oh, I do want to shout out one teacher because you made me think about my fourth grade teacher. Mrs. Hall is like the love of my life. Her, her daughter and I still keep in touch, but she was my fourth and fifth grade teacher. And I was convinced she looked like Beyonce. She does not look like Beyonce at all. Now that I'm an adult, I realized that I associated Beyonce with any light-skinned woman who sounds Southern. Um, so, like, she was awesome because she moved up with us from fourth to fifth grade. So that was, like, really important to me because a lot of times, you know, you have different teachers every year. So we really had a close bond. And a lot of people that I was in class with in fourth and fifth grade were still cool to this day. So her and Miss Perry, a lot of the teachers that I had in elementary school were just, like, they still, like, are pouring into my life today at my big age. I love that. Yeah. I have the same experience as you, Kaylin. Um I went to a Catholic school in Southeast DC. So of course it was all black people. Um, and yeah, my first teacher was a black woman. Her name was Miss Lee, Miss Lee and Miss Bailey. They were my pre-K teachers. And I also have a favorite fourth grade teacher, Miss Barnes. She was the best ever. Hey girl, if she ever watches this. Um, so yeah, uh, next question. Um, so what is your teaching philosophy and what impact do you hope to make on your current and future students? So one thing that I wanted to ensure when I got into the classroom, because I started teaching. So when I was working on my master's at Bowie State in Maryland, I was a teaching assistant and I got thrown into the classroom because of some mess. So I was like just thrown into the classroom. I had no experience um, teaching at that level because I had taught in preschool. I had taught um, at KIPP DC. So I had taught in different capacities, but just smaller children. Um, so when I was in that classroom, I remember just hearing the students complain about their other professors. I remember hearing the students talk about the professor that was supposed to be in that class mm -hmm. and how she kind of like initially treated them. And for me, I was like, okay, when I have my own classroom, I want my classroom to be rooted in compassion and grace. So I try to go into my classrooms with the concept that these students are humans, so they're going to have human problems. And also to teach them about being responsible, but also to understand that you're going to make mistakes and stuff along the way. Right. I also consider myself like the plug. So like I'm a very resourceful person. So being an educator and having my own classroom means that I have to provide resources to my students um, even before they think to ask me for them. So I have to think ahead of what they're thinking about um, and just provide them with the things they need that they may not even realize they need because I'm first generation and a lot of students are first generation. Right. So they don't have anyone that they can go to about where to find books for free and or cheap or how to, you know, finesse a meal plan, how to get food stamps if you need to get extra food when you're living in your school apartment. Like they don't have these ideas. So in my classroom, I try to incorporate these real life situations that are going to come up when you're in college into my teaching philosophy because 
like I tell my students all the time, you're never going to probably meet another professor like me. And that's because I don't look at my job as like some type of power play. I look at it as an opportunity to create community with my students. And my goal is for my students to be able to leave my classroom with a more open mind and an expanded mind and be able to take whatever we're talking about in class and apply it to their real life or identify it in the world around them. And also be able to have communication with adults that may be in different positions or be able to advocate for themselves to administration. So um, although I'm teaching like obviously a specific material, I also like to bring in like real life um, applications because you don't like we have freshman seminars and stuff at school, but that doesn't really teach you how to navigate the college scene in and outside of the classroom. That yeah. class, yeah, freshman seminar was not it. I took freshman seminar my senior year. <laughs> what? I didn't even know how, my my advisor was like. I was preparing to graduate, and she was like, um, "Kaylin, did you ever take?" She was a white woman. I. Dr. Jane, she was hilarious. She was like, you never took freshman seminar. And I was like, no. She said, okay, well, I'm teaching this semester, so I'm going to just override you into the class. Mm -hmm. And I would just sit in there, and she would always say, <laughs> Kaylin is a senior, and this is her first <laughs> freshman seminar class. So I just want you all to understand that, like, this class is important, but you can make it to the end without it. Wow. But, yeah, I was, I was a senior in the yes. freshman seminar class because – I think it was because my original advisor really like wanted me to be able to take upper level classes. So she used to like put me in classes I wasn't supposed to be in. We were kind of just doing our own thing. And then my senior year, she was like, oh, you can't graduate without this. And I was like, put me in, sis. Put okay. me in. I got to get up out of here. Yes. No. <laughs> well, my freshman seminar was taught by, because, um, you know, we went to Boy State. So, of course, HBCUs got a lot of, um, knowledge yourself type of mm -hmm. courses and that was our coursework was just learning about you know knowledge yourself and mm -hmm. and all of those things and it was interesting and i definitely learned a lot but it did not prepare me for the rest of my college journey at all so, yeah we we didn't i don't remember anything we learned in that class at Bowie. and <laughs> I, yeah but i don't know yeah i was i was lucky enough to have a professor that was cool and was, you know, trying to teach us some other things. And there were some things I didn't like about the course, but I'm glad that we weren't just like reading a book or just Yeah. And I, I wish I had more professors like you, Kaylin, who like actually yeah. want to give out resources. I did have a few of them, but for the most part, they just came in and taught what they wanted to teach and then they stuck to the curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it's difficult to be able to do that. I'm lucky to be working in an apartment where I can kind of do whatever I want to do. But a lot of professors don't get that privilege, yeah. um, especially if they are like doing tenure track or trying to become mm -hmm. like a full professor and stuff. There are so many things in the background, stipulations and things that keep them from being able to maybe being the professor. But also people get sucked into the system so quickly that they kind of forget why they came into teaching. Um, and, you know, yeah, it, it's really just a mixed bag of what you're going to get. That makes sense. I, I, I could have taken your class at Bowie, but my schedule would. Hey, you were at Bowie at the same time we were there? Yeah, I stopped teaching at Bowie in 2018. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely a loss. Definitely a loss. 
I will say though, with graduate school, that was where I first uh, like encountered having professors who really wanted us to have the resources. Like, I don't think I had to buy any type of books while I was there, at least in my department. Like, if mm -hmm. I was taking something extra, of course, I had to, you know, try to gather those materials. But they printed everything out for us. They were like, "This is what you need." I'm uploading this to the Google Drive, and it was just it made a world of difference. So. Uh, yeah, we understand. A lot of us understand the struggle. Okay, mm -hmm. so we try to find those open access um, articles, and a lot of schools, um, library departments, and journals are trying to move towards open access, so that way anyone can access the stuff, which is very important to me and the type of scholarship that I do because I want my stuff to be accessible. Okay, I'm gonna dig into uh, your research that you've been doing on massage noir in digital spaces. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what massage noir is. It is a term that describes misogyny that is rooted in racism um, against Black women. In your thesis, A Seat at the Table, A Repetitive Narrative of Abuse, you stated that many of the participants in your study believe that Twitter should hire Black women in order to create reform. What are your thoughts on this now, especially with the emergence of massage noir on TikTok and other social media platforms? So now that i'm like out of my master's place and my idealist idea of what reform i can do on twitter and realistically thinking about it i'm more so focused on um ways that black women are doing harm reduction in spaces because even if we were to have black women in these headquarters creating these algorithms um creating this software and stuff like that there would still be some type of form of massage noir because massage noir exists online and offline. It always has. It's nothing new. It just has a coined word now. Shout mm -hmm. out to Dr. Moya Bailey. But what I think is important for people to understand is that we have to continue to create harm reduction skills in digital spaces because Black women are only going to protect Black women, non-binary folk, right? Like we are the ones that are going to protect each other. Um, so thinking back into my past research um, and the focus group that I had and the, and the people that I talked to, um, I think that, yes, there should still be Black women in these spaces, but I also think that we kind of have to take the matter into our own hands um, because Twitter is not all bad. TikTok is not all bad. Facebook is not all bad. Um, and I feel like we just navigate the spaces better than the average person working in tech. And I also feel like um, we have begun to master the ability to clap back and I feel like clapping back in a way that it looks like restorative justice and transformative justice. So those are my thoughts now as I'm like moving through my doctoral program and kind of shifting what my work looks like. Um, I'm more so interested in like the healing aspect, the harm reduction, um, healing justice and stuff like that because studying digital violence all day long in massage noir has caused me a lot of serious mental health issues panic attacks emotional distress um and um one of the of the scholars that i admire dr andre brock spoke with me one time and he was like you need to figure out how to pull joy out of the work you're doing because you can't save everyone and you don't want to end up in a space mentally where you're burnt out because you're trying to like save and rewrite the system Word. No, seriously. Um, I agree with that 100%. Because definitely um, moving through graduate school and studying, you know, 
those same types of, of things, it does. It has a very, very um, harsh effect on your psyche. And you're, a lot of us are already dealing with just our own personal traumas, individual traumas that we're, you know, trying to resolve. So having to deal with the world and how the world views us as well is just, it's a lot. And I agree, working on healing yourself does help. Like when you can bring that into your work, it changes everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I need to take a step away from Twitter because it's literally, you see something bad about Black women every single day at this point. Yep. No, that's so true. So can you tell us about the Hood Rat Scholarship and why you started it? Yes. So I consider myself a Hood Rat. So, um, and I also consider myself someone who comes from a familial background where we don't have a lot of college educated people. Um, my mom did not graduate high school. Um, and I think that it's important for me as a first generation student to make sure that my work is accessible to my family. Um, one thing that really stood out to me is when I graduated undergrad, my uncle on my dad's side had asked me, is it okay if I come to your graduation? And that really like was a dagger in my heart because I could tell that him and my other family may not feel like they belong in that space because mm -hmm. of where we're from, what we look like, our occupations, maybe we've been in and out of jail, so on and so forth, um, battled with addiction. And I think that Hood Rat Scholarship is an opportunity to create mutual aid through education, right? So being able to take what I'm learning and um, sharing it with the streets. So the slogan is like from the schoolhouse to the streets and back around. So it's like an ecosystem. Um, and I want to be able to teach people in my community how to archive our moments, right? So like, I want us to be able to write about the first time we got acrylic nails, the first time we got our lashes done, the first time we got braids. So like on Twitter, I had posted like, I remember when I was six years old and I got my first set of braids. A woman named India that my mama knew who worked at the flea market, did my braids for me. Her house smelled like Nog Champa. That was the first time I learned about spirituality, right? So these experiences are important. And a lot of Black people have these experiences that are very culturally specific, but we don't know how to archive them or to talk about them. And we don't feel like they are um, academic -y enough to matter in these academic spaces. And Hurrah Scholarship is supposed to be an avenue for us to dismantle this idea and abolish this idea that education creates experience when the reality is that experience creates education, right? When we came out of our mama's pussy, like we were already experiencing and knowing and learning things through life. We don't have to go to school to understand something, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the language that is used in academia is very gatekeepy. And I'm not a gatekeepy kind of person unless it comes to my blackness. Like I'm a that's the hard stop for me. If you ain't black, I ain't. so I'm gonna just leave it right there. Ray already know. Ray knows me very well. She knows exactly how I feel about what I feel. But I think that the gatekeeping um is rooted in white supremacy, obviously, in this elitist mindset, being entitled to information and to knowledge. And Hood Rat Scholarship, my hope is to create something where I can abolish that and really like disrupt that system. So that's what I'm doing with Hood Rat Scholarship. And, and I have really big plans for it as I go through my program. And also as I um, get deeper into my studies and, and continue to do my community engagement. I love that. 
So you're mainly an educator. And I know you lightly touched on um, like doing healing work, but you provide spiritual services as well now, like tarot card readings and guided meditation. So when did you begin your spiritual journey? In 2015, um, I began my spiritual journey in 2015. And then I started doing tarot and um, guided meditations. And I did guided journaling during 2020 when the pandemic started. Um, and I started doing that um, for my community. And I want to say about 2017. And right now I'm on a hiatus because I'm just extremely drained from school. And I also work full time at an abortion fund. So I'm being like pulled in many different ways. Um, but my spiritual practices and my spiritual work, it's been about five or six years so far. That's amazing. And um, can you tell me a little bit more about like, what what has that experience been like for you? Because I know you're saying you're taking a break now, but what has it been like for you to be able to help people in that way? Um, it's been extremely, I don't want to use the word rewarding because I'm not doing it for like a reward, but it's been extremely like grounding for me because it's forced me to listen to myself more instead of other people. And it's also forced me to handle people differently, right? So I've always been a very good friend, but that doesn't mean that I've always been very good to people, right? So going through my own spiritual journey and doing spiritual work with other people has put me in a place where I have to be very mindful and very intentional about how I handle people. Um, and I also have learned that by handling other people, I have to be softer with myself and then teach other people how to be softer with me because typically people are not very soft with me because they don't see me as a soft person, which is fine. Um, but as I've been doing spiritual work with others, I've needed more of that softness because I have to kind of shed the hard exterior in order to really speak to people and help people and actually be an active listener to people. Mm. These are these answers are so great. I love okay, them. Okay, like I'm sitting here processing everything and I wanna I could sit here and talk to you all day because I'm telling you this what I'm going through right now in life is just I can relate to this so much. I love it. But let's let's keep it moving because mm -hmm. we'll be for over okay, we could be here for two hours. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of readings, you are always so great at just helping me remember who I am on days where I don't feel my best, and I'm very grateful for that. So what are your favorite or most effective things that you do to pick yourself up when you're not feeling 100%? Um, I go to a lot of therapy. So I have an EMDR therapist. I have a cognitive behavioral therapist. I go to acupuncture. I do yoga twice a week um, with an instructor. I'm starting physical training, personal training next week. Like I do a lot of things because I suffer from my own mental health issues and um, it takes medication and a lot of intensive therapy in order for me to make it day to day. Also, a lot of times I've been feeling like shit. So for me, like being able to help other people and then being able to kind of just lay down and laugh has been extremely helpful like laughter and music so like i can't sing but i have a karaoke mic which i'm looking at over there um where i love to <laughs> where i love to sing because singing really can like raise your like mood and your vibrations um i do a lot of aromatherapy like just instinctively over time aromatherapy 
breathing exercises. Um, I have a very, very dedicated partner um, and he is very good at like reminding me of like my tools that I need to use. And he knows when like, I'm not having a good day. He said the other day when I come home and all the lights are off and it's dark, I know that you've had a hard day. So he'll come upstairs and I'll be in a bed on TikTok under the blanket and he'll be like, do you want Taco Bell? And I'm like, yeah. So just like small things for me. Um, and then also learning, which has been really hard for me that like different traumatic experiences. Um, Ray knows that I got really sick a couple years ago. A bitch almost died. Can I cuss on here? Um, okay. A bitch almost, a bitch almost died. Right. I was hospitalized and everything. And that experience made me realize that one, I'm an introvert. And two, it takes a lot of me to show up for people. So I need a lot of downtime. Even if my brain is still going, sometimes I just have to just lay flat. So I sit down a lot in silence. Like my house is always extremely quiet, except for when my kittens are fighting. But like, we don't have, we don't, we're not very loud in my house. My, my husband and I don't yell and argue at each other. Like we're just... The silence is very important for my healing and also for me to kind of like center myself. Mm. I hope that answered the question. I'd be rambling. You more than answered the question. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 I hope a lot of people take some stuff from this interview and apply it to their lives because it could make things so much better. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was a participant in your First Bless Sunday's uh, Instagram Live, and it was very helpful. Um, can you tell your viewers what that consisted of and if you'll ever do them again whenever the time is right? Because I know your schedule is always so booked. Yeah. So First Blush, First Blush Sundays was a um, community journaling um, that we did on Instagram. And I miss it so much. Like, I need to figure out how to bring that back into my life. But I would do it every Sunday, I think around like noon. Mm-hmm. And I would have a writing prompt and we would write for an hour. We would write and then we would talk about what we were writing about. And the reason why I did this is because when the pandemic hit, in March of 2020, and Brianna Taylor died. Um, I felt this need to create care for my community, and I had to think of a way where I could do it that wouldn't put me at risk um, emotionally, mentally, physically. Um, so for me, my act of protest, my act of active, like my form of activism is writing, right? And communicating with people and building relationships. And I like journal prompts, but I also know I'm not consistent. So I said, okay, if I want to be consistent with the journal prompts and journaling, I need to have an accountability group, right? And they didn't even know they were my accountability group, but I needed them so I could you know, continue to do a writing process. And it was just really a beautiful experience for me um, having like the same people come in all the time and um, being able to just build was really amazing. I have a lipstick on my face. I just realized that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Being able to build was really amazing. And I hope to bring that back in maybe a different type of capacity uh, in the future. I just really need to get through this coursework in my PhD program because I'm a very dedicated person to things that I do. So it's hard for me to not be 100% when I'm doing something. And that's why I had to kind of pull back from a lot of my extracurricular activities. 
because I wasn't able to give 100%. But First Blush Sundays will be back. We just don't know when. Ooh, yes. I want to join the next time. Whenever you bring it back, I'm jumping up in there. Mm-hmm. I'm and I'm also thinking of different platforms to use because I like Instagram live, but I also, I like it because it's easy for people to find me, but I also would like to be able to um, record and have maybe longer discussions where people can actually talk because everyone would just talk through the chats, which was fine. Um, but I think that people being able to see each other and actually hear each other's voices would probably be helpful as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe and I was, what were you about to say? Sorry. I was just responding to that. I was like, maybe Zoom, um, would be a good platform for Zoom or uh I wonder if you can do that like on Patreon. Probably. Yeah. I don't I'm very anti people paying me to do things. So um I for the first blush journaling, I probably wouldn't charge people. Now I have been contracted to do like actual like group um group journaling, like hired one of my homegirls, she does like retreats. So she'll hire me to either do like group journaling or talking with folks or teaching people like tips and tricks for anxiety and stress and stuff like that. But when it comes to like my community work, my community work is going to always be free, always. And I will work two, three, four jobs so I can be able to fund my community work being free. That's a practice I learned from Hey Friend Hey years ago. Shout out to her. (laughs) And I actually found like an old journal prompt, like in one of my journals. And I think the question was like, what would you, what do you do to be considered a good friend or something? So like going back to those prompts and like rereading them and seeing what I said was really helpful. Yeah, I often think about the prompt where we were talking about joy and like how we never say like, I'm filled with joy. We'll be like, oh, I'm happy, but we never say like joy. And like, ever since then, I've always thinking about that journal practice when I feel the emotion that would be joy to make sure I use that word, so. I be thinking about them too. You be, you be doing, you be knowing. <laughs> Were you always planning to get your doctorate, or did you make that decision early on, um, or later on in your career? So when I was younger, I knew that I wanted to be a professor. Like I wanted to teach at a college. Um, I didn't know what college was for real, but. I don't know. I can't really put a finger on who or what I saw and or talked to that made me think that that was my path. But I knew that I was going to be a professor and I knew that I was going to get my doctorate. Didn't really know what a doctorate was, but I knew it. And um, I always thought I was going to be like 50 because in my mind, professors were old, even though 50 is not old. But in my head, when I was like eight or nine, 50 was old to me. So I was like, oh, when I'm 50 and I retire from whatever job I'm doing, I'm going to go and get my doctorate and be a professor. Um, (laughs) But it happened that I started teaching at the college level when I was 26 years old. So I started way younger than I thought. And I've been really lucky to be in a couple of spaces where I was the youngest person teaching. And a lot of times that can be scary, but I was excited because I felt like I was able to relate to the students in a way that a lot of professors just cannot. Yeah. What are a few things people may not know or fully understand about being an educator unless they are one? 
we are underpaid and overworked. I mean, people have hear people hear that all the time, but people don't understand that. There's a difference from hearing of an educator saying that they're exhausted and understanding what that exhaustion actually feels like, right? Mm-hmm. Educators, especially K through 12 right now, my heart goes out to the educators, school counselors, administration, the paraprofessionals, the lunch ladies, everyone, because they are putting being put in risk and so are their students. So a lot of times educators are the last people that people that people consider as essential. Um, and because of that, it can make us feel very resentful of our profession, right? Also being a black woman in, a, in the academy is like whack. Like these people don't care about my work. They're not interested in funding what I'm doing, right? I have to network and really be out here like hitting my foot to the pavement in the trenches to get the resources that my white counterparts can get easily. So being an educator at any level is can be very high stress and very exhausting. Um, but if it is something that you truly feel is your calling, like you kind of got to figure out wh- to get in where you fit in. And I don't think I'm going to stay in academia forever. Like I don't want to probably do tenure track and be a department chair and stuff like I thought anymore. Um, I would love to continue to teach and educate and expand the minds of students. But I also understand that the academy does not love me and I will never love the academy back. So um, those are some things that I want people to think about is that like your teachers are tired. They're tired. And that exhaustion is something that no one can say they have experienced unless they've literally been in that position. That was that was a lot right there. So moving on, what are three important pieces of advice that you would give to aspiring black educators? Okay, I want to give the three pieces of advice to just black people in general, because educator has a privileged connotation to it. And you don't have to be in the school system to be an educator, right? Um, You two are educators, you're creating a platform where you are interviewing and talking about things that people may not know about. Um, So three things for black people who are just being black in the world, right? One, bend with the wind so it doesn't break you. I got a tattoo in the back of my arm. That's like my go to affirmation. be flexible. That's what that quote means. Like sometimes you got to do things and I hate saying this, but sometimes you got to do things that you may not necessarily love in order to get where you need to be. You may not, you may have to work a retail job for a couple more years before you can, you know, work somewhere else, or you may have to, you know, move back home or move with family or whatever until you get back on your feet, but be flexible with yourself and be patient with yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, the second thing I would say as a piece of advice for others is um, Lucille Clifton's poem, Come Celebrate With Me. Once you come celebrate with me, always comes to mind. There's a line where she says, "Come ce- I think it says, come celebrate with me. Um, every day has, every day something has tried to kill me, but like she didn't die, right? And my piece of advice is like, every day that you wake up, you didn't die. Mm-hmm. And that's not for me to be like, oh, be grateful for life because that love and life stuff is hit or miss a lot of times it's just coming to terms with the fact that like you woke up mm-hmm. they tried to kill you girl they was praying on your downfall but you woke up and it is what it is today might be shitty too but you woke up 
Um, and then my third thing I think that I would tell Black people is that we are the best at everything we do. Mm. No one can compare. No one can take your place. No one can do what you do. Um, we are truly, truly the blueprint. Mm. Period. Okay. it's like every time you answer something i can't even i'm literally still sitting here thinking about everything that was just said it's like i can't even come up with a follow-up question or a response because it's just so much that's there to unpack and to discuss thank you (laughs) thank you (laughs) words just yeah i'm like am i interviewing or am i so where can people who want to get in contact with you via internet find you um okay so if you're on twitter you can follow me as she her beyonce um if you're on instagram you can follow me at kaylin coghill i use twitter more than i use instagram um but honestly, you don't have to like follow me on Twitter to engage with me. I always tell people this, like, I don't like having a large following count because it makes me anxious. Um, but if you want to follow me, that's fine. But I'll, I like engaging with folks. Also, my website, KaylinCockhill.com, like if you want to talk to me one-on-one, I meet with people all the time, right? So um, one of my homegirls was like, you're the most meetingest nigga I know. And I'd be like, I know. Like, I have meetings every day, all day long, Monday through Sunday, because I like creating communities and just showing up for people. So if you want to chat with me, like, you know, DM me, hit me up, um, email me. I'm a very, very available person, and I make myself available for a lot of people. That's beautiful. Okay, well, I think that's all of our questions mm-hmm. for today, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for coming onto our platform and just sharing all that you just gave, all this wisdom. We truly, truly, truly appreciate you. And I hope that everyone can take what I'm feeling right now. I hope everyone is feeling that through their screens when they get this, okay? No, um, it's too sweet. No, like seriously, this was this is great. So we will uh, see you next week. <laughs> Enjoy this episode, and you know, have a great rest of the week, guys. Thank Love you. Me. I'll see y'all later. Bye. Bye.